Well, hey there, welcome back again to In the Growth Space. My name is David McGlennon, and I am your host and growth coach. I am super excited about today's conversation. And if you are a family business owner, if you are maybe a second or third generation business owner, you're really going to need to listen to this maybe a couple of times because my guest today is a consultant to family businesses who bridges the generational gaps so that they can build future-focused enterprises. So today, I am introducing you to uh, Nikkei Anani. Nikkei is an entrepreneur and a consultant, and she was rated as a top 100 family business consultant globally. She helps her clients bridge the gap between the senior and younger generations. And as a result, they communicate, collaborate, and collectively gain clarity to increase profit and productivity in their family businesses. She has over a decade of family business experience in Nigeria, and she helps owners lead their family organizations to long-term impact and legacy. Her inside experience as a second-generation family business owner birthed a passion inside of her to help other families in building legacy enterprises that would outlive them. Now, Nikkei is an accountant uh, by by training, and she's also been trained as a family business and wealth advisor from the Family Firm Institute. She's the co-founder of African Family Firms, a Pan-African Association of Family Businesses, and the host of the Connected Generation podcast. In this episode, you're going to hear how to not just bridge gaps in generations, but bridge gaps in in communication, in family businesses, as well as non-family business. Nikkei brings in uh, the value and talks about the value of, of bringing other advisors in to help navigate family relationships and sometimes the underlying current, the fears, the, the, the expectations, um, the, the lens in which each family member sees the, the business through. And she brings so many key issues in this conversation. She talks about navigating shared goals with, with people or, or family members who, who view things differently and, and how, to, how to really work through that. This is such a great conversation, whether you have a family business or not. There's so many great uh, takeaways from this conversation. So let's get into that conversation with Nikkei Anani right now. Well, welcome, Nick A. It's uh, great to have you here in the growth space. Uh, well, welcome. Thank you, David. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm 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 grateful. Grateful to to have you here and and uh, to chat today. I know uh, it's going to be a great conversation. Well, let's start start off with tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got to where you are today. Yes, gladly. So I am currently a second generation family business owner. I'm based in Lagos, Nigeria, but as we were discussing, I'm moving to the US in about six weeks, which is really exciting. I am a consultant to family businesses, helping them bridge generational gaps so that they can build future focused enterprises. How did I get here? So my journey really started with my my birth. So my parents started off our first business the year I was born, based in Lagos, Nigeria. My dad was a young doctor. My mom was a young teacher. But despite being professionals, they couldn't afford to give me the standard of living that they wanted. Mm. And so they found themselves starting up a side hustle, as we call it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
And very quickly, soon after, about a couple of years later, my dad stopped practicing medicine and became a full-time entrepreneur. And so by the time I was nine, my parents made the decision that it was best for mine and my brother's education and future for us to move to the UK. Mm. And so dad stayed behind, continued to build the business. And my mom, my brothers and I, we moved. And so I went to university in London. I started my career in corporate, in corporate tax international at Deloitte. But Mm. it was not a fulfilling place for me. Yeah. (laughs) And I found myself coming back to Nigeria to discover myself. But the plan was only to be back for three months. And 10 years plus later, (laughs) I still stayed. (laughs) Love it. So I ended up working with my father in our family business, and which was a construction business and a real estate business. And by this point, it had grown to over 3,000 members of staff. Very complicated business, but... Yeah, but very informally run. Mm. And as well as he had been doing a lot of investing in tech, real estate, in infrastructure, in oil and gas, mining, you name it. But there wasn't, (laughs) again, that informality was the theme. There was no structure to that. Uh. So I became a director in the family operating business and I oversaw HR, finance and admin. And then I also set up our family office to kind of create sanity from a lot of the, I don't want to say insanity, but it was (laughs) the genius kind of chaotic genius that he'd created. Of course. yeah, yeah. (laughs) And, but you know what? I found it a very, very difficult place as a successor, both from a personal kind of identity piece. It was like, Mm. I felt like he was this demigod. My father was like this demigod that has created nothing, like Mm. made water um, water into wine and this huge (laughs) business. And on the inside, I was like, can I ever compare? Could I ever replicate that? Mm. And are people expecting me to be version two of him? Because I'm not, Mm. I'm my Mm. own person. Yeah. I have my own different leadership style. I have my own other dreams and ambitions as well is this representing the totality of who I am. Mm -hmm. And I often also struggled with his, the founder centricity, him not really wanting to let go and just wanting to micromanage every Mm -hmm. little detail, which was strange to me because decision-making when I was in corporate was like decisions that would take an hour to make would take my dad a hundred days. <laughs> and also the inverse would hold true. <laughs> yeah, sure. So decisions that would take a hundred days in Deloitte would take dad just like that. And I'm like, Oh my God, what's going on here? And, yeah. <laughs> and so it was just a lot to kind of navigate and I needed some help and support, but unfortunately out here, there were no advisors that were trained in family businesses. Everyone Mm -hmm. was talking about corporate governance, strategy, innovation, Mm -hmm. agile, Mm -hmm. but no one was speaking to what happens when you have this confluence of family and business, right? How do you navigate that? As well as there was no community. I didn't Mm -hmm. know anyone else that was, had dad boss to deal with and navigating all this heavy responsibility and the anxiety that stewardship brings with it. And I wanted to be in community with other people and just kind of listen and learn from what happened to you? How did you navigate it? Okay, this Mm -hmm. is the way we're doing it. What do you think? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a long story short. I ended up training up as a certified family business advisor with 
family firm institute in Boston. Okay. As well as starting off that community that I longed for um, yeah. with a friend of mine, um, a nonprofit community called African Family Firms, an yes. association of business owners in Africa. So yeah, that's nice. me. <laughs> That's amazing. There's so much in that story I'd, I'd really love to unpack because I, you, you said this phrase, and, and I hope listeners got it because I'd really love to ask you a little bit more about it. You, you talked about the anxiety of stewardship. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that, but I can also relate to that. You and I mm-hmm. were talking yesterday, actually, <laughs> and uh, on your podcast, you asked me a question about my family business history. And, and I I honestly can recall that because I too was part of a family business and that responsibility for being a steward of the resources that were in the family business and 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 all of the aspects that go along with that. How did you how did you get past that or or did you? I think it's a journey for me to be perfectly yeah. honest with you and it started off as one of a very dissociated view of my identity with the wealth, Mm -hmm. Um, one where I felt that the wealth was imprisoning me. Mm. And I saw it as this huge responsibility, as we kind of alluded to. Um, I was bearing a cross that a lot of my friends were not. My friends got to be free, go to their nine to fives. And then I had to deal with succession planning, estate planning, governance, running the business. And as a young person in their twenties, I just felt like it was, it was a lot. And then navigating relationships as well. I just always felt a bit awkward. Mm. How, how authentic and genuine were people being in wanting to be close to me, whether it's romantic relationships or platonic relationships. But I went on a journey of reorienting my mind and seeing myself has not been in a position of like being imprisoned, but actually one of privilege. Mm -hmm. And also I don't like the term steward. I really don't. Ah. Maybe because of my Christian background, um, when we say steward is that you're given something to manage for someone and that person is going to come back and make you accountable for it. But there's a kind of a divorcing of self from the wealth and a divorcing of identity from that and Mm. a huge sense of obligation when I think of Stuart. It was really me moving down a journey of um, trying to embrace an owner's mindset that this is mine as well as it is dad's right? Yeah, sure. Um, we'd had open conversations in the family about, you know, passing things on and estate planning and things. But initially I felt, felt that, yes, legally I have a share of this, but emotionally I don't. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. But I went on a journey of developing that emotional ownership, a feeling of belonging, a feeling of pride, a feeling of um, being empowered by it. And so it didn't feel like an obligation. It didn't feel like a responsibility. It just felt part of me. That uh, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, sure it does. Sure it does. How did you navigate some of those conversations within the family? Because I think that there's a big, let's call it a big gap or a big challenge that most family businesses have, especially generationally. 
I know that as a son in my family business, my dad was the the president of the organization. It, it was really hard to bridge that gap between being a son and then also being the CFO of of an organization that was uh, m- you know millions of dollars that I needed to to make sure that were handled properly. How did you bridge the gap in some of those conversations? between let's say daughter and dad or daughter and, and other family members and you know operations manager or operations leader. Honestly, my training was invaluable. Prior to me being trained as family business advisor, I mean, I would say I'm relatively well self-aware, yeah. but <laughs> we had many conversations that just were not going anywhere or very surface level conversations that were not getting to the meat of the issue. And a lot of the time, I wasn't really aware of the meat of the issue, right? So what I found helpful was my training, becoming a family business advisor and learning how to kind of facilitate and hold space to allow for Mm -hmm. deeper conversation. So for instance, unpacking my wealth identity, my I, the way I viewed money and and wealth. Um, my father was a founder, had built money, built the business from scratch, was very entrepreneurially driven, a risk taker, um, is in a different stage of life to me. He'll be 60 next year. He's still on this quest for significance and to build a legacy. But here I was in my 20s, an unsure person still trying to discover myself, And in having been a second generation, I'd seen him grow this wealth. And like I said, that anxiety of stewardship is like, oh, well, I don't want to mess everything up and then it all just dissipates. I want Mm -hmm. us to be able to keep this thing. And so I naturally was more risk averse than him. And not having an understanding of the different psychologies and identities towards money and wealth really helps because then you see how and why there's so much conflict in family firms between generations because we're looking at things completely differently. Next gens typically are more risk averse, tend to have a longer term horizon. It's like, I want this thing to last so that our kids can be fine too because we just don't know when. It's kind of, it's it's usually rooted in a scarcity mentality and a fear, deep fear of loss. Mm -hmm. Founders are in a season of life where they're on a quest for significance, for um, legacy, are risk takers, are more sure, they're not thinking, psychologically, they're kind of trying to avoid their own mortality, right? So, So when I became aware of the prism through which we see things, because the lens through which we look at life is our reality it really made things easier in terms of, oh, okay, so that's why he's acting that way. Well, that's Mm -hmm. why I feel scared here. Um, At the root of a lot of decisions on both sides of the table was fear. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. You are very self-aware, as you said, and and, and I I can tell that. And yet, I know that there's a lot of family businesses that probably aren't there. And so I guess one of my questions is, is, how important is it for family businesses to actually bring in someone from the outside to be able to hold space and to be able to negotiate some of those difficult conversations? Mm-hmm. I'll be honest, um, it's absolutely necessary. And whilst I, I'm relatively well self, um, relatively self-aware, I had a coach coaching yeah. me privately okay. to gain kind of to be able to see the bigger picture. 
Mm-hmm. Um, she was, so this is before I did my training and that was invaluable. I think having mm-hmm. that third party come into the room, someone that's intuitive, understands the different psychological dynamics of the different generations, of the different ages, the different yeah. genders. And also those that are, you know, to use this analogy of battlefield, right? Those yeah. that are on, on the front lines have a different psychology and different perspective from those that are, you know, on the sidelines. Right. And oftentimes, you know, those that are on the front lines might have this ego kind of thing where it's like, yeah, well, I'm the more significant one because I'm mm. fighting every day. I'm putting my life at risk, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or my time, my energy, my identity is on the line whilst you're just sitting back and mm. you're enjoying all the benefit. And I think understanding those nuances is absolutely critical to be able to then hold space and facilitate dialogue between the family members. Oftentimes family members speak very surface level, but don't go deep to the root of what's going on. We might be fighting over, well, sibling rivalry may play out like, you know, two sons that are vying for leadership position. But what it's really about is about, Typically, you might have family, long-standing family issues, right? It's easier to fight over business matters than to talk about, well, I felt neglected as a child, or Mm. um, I have a fear of loss, or Mm. we have, I don't know, there was a significant loss in the family that was traumatic for me. And since then, you see what I mean? So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's really important to have that third party just to facilitate conversation. I I always say conversation is a very start of succession. The reports should not be, please guys avoid those fancy reports. They're great. Yeah. After you've had the conversation. Yeah. You hit on a really important subject. I think that it really having someone to be able to help navigate those differences between family and business to be able to really get below the surface. I think that's so huge and so key. And especially for generations, I, I know that, I don't know, are you familiar with um, the the book called Traction uh, by Gina Wickham? No, no he, I'm not. He, he talks about having a structure of someone who is the visionary, which in this case, it sounds to me like you, is your dad, your father, that, that person who, who has the big picture and, and going for significance. And, and then there's someone who's called the integrator. Sometimes mm-hmm. we would call them the operations manager or the mm-hmm. COO. And, and, and navigating those dynamics is, is really difficult, if, even if you're not family. But then being able to take the family dynamics and, and, and put that into it, that's, that's really, really difficult. And, and so what I'm hearing you say, though, is that you had a coach that helped you to be able to navigate your own you know, emotional intelligence, your emotional situations and, and, and issues, and then mm-hmm. be able to, to, to bring those conversations together in the family dynamic. Did you ever have someone that actually came in and facilitated that for you all, or you guys did it yourself? No, we didn't. Um, so yeah, we did it ourselves. So initially okay. I was coached, then myself and my brothers in conjunction, we went through a siblings team formation training. Okay. Um, because we, I noticed, because I was the one on the battlefield, right? Yeah, and they were the sure. ones on the sidelines. And we had different, we had similar goals and objectives, 
with respect to family business, but we saw things differently. Mm-hmm. And so it was important for us to form as a coherent team with, you know, consistent values, shared purpose, shared mm-hmm. vision, shared mission. And my experience was that that process of the coming together of the three of us was critical and a lot more effective in winning dad over and persuading him to mm. our ideas. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Interesting. So talk a little bit more about that, being able to persuade your, your father. And and then I'd, I'd love to be able to kind of shift gears just a little bit in, in that, like taking that idea of persuading, let's call it an older generation, to be able to do that in, in a non-family business. Because I think that mm-hmm. in today's environment, there is a lot to be said about these so-called generational gaps or generational differences. And Mm -hmm. no doubt, each generation has grown up in a different environment. And so there are differences. So talk a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. I think when I came back to the business, like I said, it was very informal. 3,000 members of staff, no HR, no finance, no admin. It was, was, yeah. Oh my goodness. Highly founder-centric. And I came in as a critic <laughs> and I had my uh, mini reports sure. that I'd come up with, like, we need to change A, B, C, D, E, F, G and just change it that. And that really <laughs> wasn't working. And it wasn't until I started to understand the fears of the founder, fear of loss of identity, loss of significance, mm-hmm. and that I, the manner in which I was communicating my ideas was abrasive and not conducive to Mm. him listening and taking upon my ideas. And uh, it was necessary for me to actually firstly understand his prism, the view through which he looked at life, his lenses, to be able to communicate in a Mm -hmm. way that would resonate with him, to speak in his language. Like, I don't know if you've read The Love Languages by Gary Chapman, right? I have, yeah. Yeah, So, so often, you know, founders are typically, you know, he would see the three main problems that he would see in the business. They're not working hard enough. There's not enough revenue and we don't have enough cash in the bank. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Whereas. Yeah. I had a different view of the root issues. I saw those as the presenting symptoms, but not necessarily the causal issue. And Mm -hmm. I saw, which is your line of work, culture as a key. Yeah was the key issue. And a lot of it, we as a family had to put in the work to change it. It wasn't to wait for the staff to work harder, but to really create a cohesive culture that would create an environment, a collaborative culture. Everyone feels a a stake in the game and would have a sense of emotional ownership and be incentivized to put in that all because we're all winning together. So that was really key, learning that, His lens was through these three prisms, really. And anything that I wanted Mm -hmm. to push through and influence and persuade, I had to push through by speaking through those languages. And so just speaking to non-family, those that are in non-family situations, right? I think the same concept still holds. I often encourage my clients, do an empathy map. Do an empathy Mm -hmm. map of your boss. Do an empathy map of your customers. Do an empathy map of your suppliers. What are they seeing, hearing, feeling? What are their ambitions? What are their aspirations? What are their fears? No Mm -hmm. one wants to be preached at. A lot of the time when we're experts, 
we preach at people and no one hates that sermon where you're, they're wagging their finger at you and telling you that you're going to go to hell because you are not good enough. Instead, we want to feel understood. Like it's really hard, isn't it? I get it. And these are your concerns, aren't they? I get it. This is the way you can do things a little differently to meet your goals. It's from a place of service as opposed to a place of um, perceived arrogance, perceived judgment, perceived hostility. So that's what I would really say with influencing and persuading is, as Stephen Covey says, um, seek first to understand and then to be understood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so good, Nikkei. Uh, you know, there's, yeah, there's so much that you just said that I hope our listeners really caught because in every situation, communication is so key. And if we seek first to understand and we speak their language, that will allow everyone to be able to get what they want and and be able to move a situation forward. I I I just love that. What talk a little bit about the general generational gaps or generational perspectives in a business. What do you help your clients do to be able to bridge those gaps or or at least just help them to see things similarly or or at least see things in a way that continues to move the, the growth path of the organization forward. Mm-hmm. So a couple of the generational issues I tend to see, particularly in family firms, like I alluded to, founders mm-hmm. finding it difficult to let go. Yeah. Next gen's finding it difficult to grab on. Uh, yeah. Kind of linked. And we want different things. So founders will tend to focus and, and emphasize the importance of history, values, heritage, retaining of middle-class values that brought them to their place of success, right? Mm-hmm. Because they started off from humble beginnings and they built up this wealth. And yeah. so, so that is the lens through which they see life. And on the other hand, you've got next gens that are a lot more future-focused, wanting to embrace the novel and the new, looking to things like innovation, tech, and in this particular generation, Gen Zs and millennials, very, very outspoken, having very high standards and demands of businesses to be change agents in society and to speak out their values. And this can create an issue between mm-hmm. because they just don't see eye to eye. And I just help to bridge that gap by holding space, mm-hmm. encouraging empathy gaining understanding of each generation. Firstly, like I said, giving an understanding of the psychology and the different perspectives Mm. which we both have and why we are the way that we are and how to communicate with each other to be more to be more impactful so that's a lot of my work in terms of encouraging empathy between the different generations and then also sparking conversation on Mm. issues where we might want to avoid Uh suppress or might not even have an awareness of, Hmm. um, but are important that we gain, we're not divided teams, but we're a united family. We're a united family that has unified vision. Where are we heading to? Mm -hmm. Unified mission, unified sense of purpose and values as well. So, So that's a lot of the work that I do in bridging that gap. Mm -hmm. I I love that. And I think that both family businesses and non-family businesses can can benefit from that because it's it's really about all 
generations, being able to see things through someone else's lens and someone else's perspective. And I think the one thing that you said a little bit ago is creating that empathy map, map being able to understand things that another person wants and desires is, is really so key to being a change agent and also helping the organization grow. Because at the end of the day, everyone wants the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. Everything, Everybody wants the company to grow, the organization to grow and to accomplish its mission. And so I think if we start from that perspective first, that is going to help bridge some of those gaps. And I think that, you know, the things that you do within organizations is so valuable and so needed today. And so I'm, I'm really excited to see someone like you who is helping organizations, both family and non-family, to be able to do that. I, I really love that. So I know we're, we're running out of time here today, but Tell, tell listeners, you know, if, if you could give them one piece of advice, if, if they're in a business, whether it's family or non-family, what would you say is that the biggest piece of advice that you would give them to help them to grow, help the organization to grow in, in your experience? Empathy. <laughs> it's my life word. And connections is what I would say. So build meaningful, genuine connections with people whether it's your boss, whether it's your colleagues, whether it's those that report to you and understand the lens through which they see life and speak to that. And sometimes that can mean using their language, literally, to build and foster that connection and that sense of belonging. Because it's when we we belong that we go over and above for, for, for people. So whether that's yourself as, you know, you've got a, a a, a boss or whether that's you're in the boss you're the ceo and you've got others reporting to you it's try and foster an environment of inclusion and belonging through mm. empathy love that i love that gosh <laughs> this is so amazing I, I love everything that you you've shared today because i really feel like that more businesses more leaders especially as they hand off to the next generation need to be able to embrace some of these ideas, some of these skills, and mm -hmm. and really to be able to help the organization continue on. And, and as you said, well, you didn't say it here, but we talked about it <laughs> off air, uh, but future-proofing those organizations, yeah. really being able to make sure that they continue on from generation to generation. Okay, thank you so much for, for being here. How can people get a hold of you? If, if they want to know more about the work you do, how do, how do people get a hold of you? Firstly, thank you so much, David. I've really enjoyed this conversation. You can get a hold of me on my website, www.nikeanani.com. That's Nikia Anani. And on there, you've got my socials, my email if you want to reach out, and lots of resources. Um, I also have my podcast, Connected Generation, and we explore conversations on personal leadership, succession planning, wealth planning, philanthropy, and all, all, anything to do with wanting to build a legacy family enterprise. 
Yeah. And, and let me just say too, to the listeners here, go out and listen to her podcast because she's had some amazing guests on. I've listened to a number of her episodes and um, she, she just has some, some great conversations as well. And I know of one conversation that will be coming up, I'm sure in the next few weeks. <laughs> An amazing one. Of <laughs> that someone. you might enjoy. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> well, Nikkei, thank you so much. I, I'm so grateful you. for you uh, to come and, and, and be on this, this show and, and the episode and, and look forward to welcoming you to the United States here in the next yes. few weeks. So I'm uh, really excited to hope uh, your, your family has a smooth uh, travel and transition to, to the United States. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I hope that you got a lot of great takeaways from this episode. Nikkei is such a brilliant leader, and I hope that you'll get connected with her as well, especially if you are a family business owner. You know, she gave some really great advice on bridging not only the generational gaps, but also the emotional and, and relational gaps that often come up in family businesses. Thanks so much for listening and for sharing the podcast with friends and colleagues. I really appreciate the feedback on these conversations. And if you know someone who has a great story, please reach out to me and I'd love an introduction. Now, if you haven't yet, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It would mean the world to me and it really helps us to keep spreading the, the learning from these great leaders. And speaking of great leaders, we have some great conversations coming up. People like Mike Kim, John Eads, Alexandra Persglove, Rich Cardona, and Matt McWilliams, just to name a few. And I'm also working on some solo episodes based on some client work that I've done recently. And, and I can't wait to share those with you as well. Now, it's been said that life begins at the end of your conversation. Comfort zone. And I definitely know that's where growth happens. So keep growing and pushing the boundaries of your comfort zone. Be well. Mm -hmm.